Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, that's the text for this morning. Again, we're going to concentrate the majority of our time, if not almost the significant entire uh, amount of our time this morning, on three little words, a short phrase, God with us. The title of the message this morning is Emmanuel, God among men. Let me ask you a question. What is the greatest miracle that God has ever performed? If I were to ask you to write it down on your notes this morning, what is the greatest miracle that God has ever performed? What would you write? What would you pen in answer? Was it creation? Ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing, God created what we see, the entire universe, the whole created realm out of nothing. He he gathered no materials in advance to fashion it. He simply spoke it into creation. Would that be it? Is that the greatest miracle? Was it the day that he created Adam from the dust of the ground or that he fashioned Eve from a rib from his side? Was it that Abraham and Sarah conceived at such a late age in life? Was it sustaining Israel in the wilderness for 40 years? Perhaps the daily manna from heaven? Was it parting the Red Sea? Was that it? Was that God's greatest miracle? I mean, can you imagine standing there on the cusp of the Red Sea and seeing it divide in half and hold its banks while God's people walked through. Was that God's greatest miracle? Was it causing the sun to stand still in Joshua's day? Was it Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days? Was it Daniel's safety in the lion's den? Was it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's safety in the fiery furnace? Were any of these things God's greatest miracle? Uh, Let's turn to Jesus now. Was it it Jesus turning water to wine, feeding the 5,000, healing the lame, restoring sight to the blind, or causing the dead to rise again? Was it Jesus' own resurrection? How would you answer the question, what is the greatest miracle that God has ever performed? I would submit to you that our text this morning brings us to one of the most profound mysteries and the greatest miracle that God has ever performed. I submit to you that the greatest miracle that God has ever performed is that God became a man. That he took on our flesh, John chapter 1, that he dwelled among us, that he tabernacled among us. That is God's greatest miracle. That he divested himself of something of his glory, Philippians chapter 2, and humbly became a man, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. God's greatest miracle is that God became a man. Let's turn our attention to our text for this morning. Let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability. This is Matthew recording the birth of Jesus Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. He pens the following words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Friends, brothers, sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Three points on your outline this morning. I'll give them to you in advance. Number one, Emmanuel. That's the name this morning that we want to reverence. That's the name this morning that we want to lift high. That's the name this morning that we want to worship. Emmanuel. He reveals God's nearness to us. Emmanuel reveals God's nearness to us. Number two, Emmanuel reveals God's care and concern for us. And then number three, finally on your outline, Emmanuel reveals God's promise to us. Before we say anything this morning, let me just tell you that everything that proceeds from my mouth will be but a frail, frail attempt to give height and width and breadth and length to what this text, really what this phrase encompasses. Emmanuel, God with us. What we're looking at this morning by way of our time of teaching this morning is but the tip of the iceberg for what could be said about this phrase. Number one on your outline this morning, Emmanuel reveals God's nearness to us. Two names we see in the passage before us this morning. Two names given to our Lord. First, the name Jesus, which that describes our Messiah's office. That office is that he will be the sacrificial lamb. He will be, he will be the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Which, by the way, that's our study next week. I want to encourage you to be back with us next week. Invite a friend, invite a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor. We're going to talk about that name that is above all names. That name, Jesus, that every knee bows down to. But Jesus speaks to the Messiah's office. He is our sin-bearing lamb. The second name we see in our text this morning is the name Emmanuel. That is the name that describes our Messiah's nature, his nature. He is a God who inhabits his people. He is a God who is among or alongside his people. He is a God who tabernacles with his people. He's Emmanuel, God with us. This name, Jesus... We'll be there next week. That's of great comfort to heavy-laden sinners. But this morning, I want to talk about this second name of Jesus, the name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Well over 700 years before the birth of Christ, probably 740, 750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah declared concerning the coming Messiah these words. You'll see them right there in Matthew chapter 1. Therefore, the the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
700 plus years before Jesus was ever born, that prophecy was declared of the coming Messiah. Friends, I don't know if you've ever considered this or not, but this prophecy right here, as well as every other prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, was literally, that's an important word, literally fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every prophecy in the Bible concerning the coming Messiah was literally fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But I'm persuaded that not even Isaiah understood how far-reaching the meaning of Emmanuel would be. You see, the name Emmanuel, back in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, which is quoted for you here in Matthew chapter 1. The name Emmanuel back in Isaiah's day, that was a sign of God's deliverance of Israel from temporal trouble. But the name Emmanuel here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 is a sign of God's deliverance of sinners from eternal trouble. There's a major difference, a major shift here. Speaks of of Israel's temporal relief of trouble back in Isaiah chapter 7, but here in Matthew's gospel, it is a sign of God's deliverance of sinners from our eternal trouble. In other words, it answers the question, how will a holy and righteous God deal with us in light of the fact that we are sin-scarred? Well, the answer is Emmanuel, God with us. God took on flesh and he lived among us. You see, Emmanuel in Matthew's gospel, when you see it there, Matthew chapter 1, it's actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word. Emmanuel was not originally a Greek word, it was a Hebrew word. It's a compound word. Imanu means with us, and El, God. With us, God. The very fact that it is translated in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 1, is of wonderfully profound, great, and beautiful news to us. The very fact That Emmanuel is translated, in other words, in parentheses in your Bible, you see his name shall be called Emmanuel, parentheses, which means translation, God with us. The very fact that it is translated in Matthew's gospel into Greek is a sweet reminder that we Gentile sinners are invited and included into the promise. That is most, if not, maybe all of us here this morning. The very fact that you see that word translated in Matthew chapter 1 is a wonderfully sweet promise that God's deliverance from sin is available to us, that we are invited and included as Gentile exiles, as as the outsiders, not a part of God's original covenant people, the Jewish nation. We are invited and included into the promise. It's wonderful news, friends. Wonderful news. Ever wonder about the meaning of a name? I mean, oftentimes in our day, not exclusively, obviously, but oftentimes in our day, we name our children names that don't have a particular meaning associated with them. That's not a wrong thing, it's not a bad thing, but we oftentimes do that. We will name our child something that doesn't have any other outside meaning, or at least not an outside meaning that we have considered before we gave that name. Such was not the case in Jesus' day, and such was not the case before Jesus' day. When a name was given, it was oftentimes associated with a particular meaning. A name was usually always 
uh, encapsulated with meaning. And when we see names attributed to the Lord Jesus, not only are they encapsulated with meaning, but they are encapsulated with teaching. We learned last week uh, in our study of Isaiah 9 that Jesus Christ, he, he is our mighty God. He is our, 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 our counselor. He is our everlasting father. He is our prince of peace. Those are his names. But yet we don't call him by those names. Emmanuel, here, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, is his name, but we don't call him by his name. We call him by his, by his official name, Jesus. But every other name that is attributed to Jesus reveals or encapsulated therein is a piece of his character or his nature or his attributes. And so when we see the name Emmanuel in Scripture, it's revealing something about God's nature to us, about who he is to us. He's with us. Behold, in this is the deepest mystery and the richest mercy that ever was, that God became a man and lived among us. You see, by the light of nature, if you just look at nature, the the, the created universe, we see God above us. If you look at the light of the law, in other words, God's commandments, and we see our violation of those commandments, then what we see is God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us. Not just above us, not just God against us because we're violators of his commandments, but God with us. He came to be with us. Friends, I would submit to you that we can condense all the truth of Christmas down into the three profound words, God with us. I mean, have you ever spent any time just letting your heart and your mind marinate or saturate itself on those three profound words, God with us? We oftentimes think about it this time of the year, do we not? Christmas. But what happens come January 1? Somehow we get Emmanuel amnesia, and we forget that God is still with us, that God is still for us. There are two parts, if you will, to this short phrase, God with us. First, God, and I want to take a few minutes and talk about that. And then secondly, the short phrase, with us. It's fitting that before we say anything about the phrase, with us, and all of its glorious meaning, that we should consider the nature and character first of God. Three little words, God with us. Let's think for a moment. Just God. God. Yahweh. God is uncreated. God is eternal. God is self-sufficient. He is omnipotent. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's the creator of the universe. And we could go on and on and on. God alone is holy in all of his perfections. And so, friends, if all we had was the singular word God in this text, it would strike great terror into our hearts because everything that God is, we are the antithesis in our sin. God demands righteousness and justice the text just said God, then there is no consolation to the heart of sinners. If it's just God 
and sinners, then there is no contest. We're all damned, we're all cursed, we're all ruined. But God with us, on the other hand, brings exquisite delight. You see, the birth of Jesus Christ brought the infinite, holy creator God within reach of the finite, sinful, created beings. God came to live with us so that we might live with him. There is scarcely, again, any greater comfort to our souls than that God came to live with us so that we might live with him. You see, God and God alone strikes terror into our hearts as we think about standing before the just one, the holy one, the righteous one. But God with us changes the songs too altogether. Till God in human flesh I see, my thoughts no comfort find. The holy, just, and sacred three are terror to my mind. But if Emmanuel's face appears, my hope, my joy begins. His grace removes my slavish fears. His blood removes my sins. You see, God with us changes everything. That's why we sing this time of year, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He was pleased with man, with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. We worship him, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God alone strikes fear and terror, my friends, but God with us is an altogether different story. Think about that short phrase there, with us, for just a moment. You see, a thousand times in history, a baby has become a king. But only once in history did a king become a baby. Just consider that for a moment. A thousand times in history has a baby become a king, but only once in history has a king become a baby. You see, the infinite God clothed himself in human, finite flesh. The king of glory became a servant of men. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 2, does he not? Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not consider or count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Wonderful word there, by the way. Probably one of the the most beautiful words in the entirety of Scripture is translated emptied himself. It's the Greek word kenosis. It means to pour yourself out. That's what Paul tells us that Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2. He poured himself out. He emptied himself He emptied himself by taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, it's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our finite mind's ability to grasp that the omnipotent God who made all things, who spoke creation into existence, would assume the very nature of one of his creatures. That he would take on our nature. That he would take on our human nature frail flesh. It would be more conceivable that God would have taken upon himself the nature of a more spiritual being, perhaps an angel or a seraph or a cherubim. That in our minds would potentially be more conceivable than the fact that God took on our frail humanity. You see, we men, we were fashioned from the dust. And even more remarkable than that, is that Emmanuel would take upon himself the nature of a being who was sinful. Not only that he took on, that he condescended himself to take on the nature of a man, but that he condescended himself to the level that he would take on the nature of a man 
who by nature was sinful. I mean, we can imagine God delighting to spend time with his angelic host. We can even understand God wanting to, uh, to spend time relishing in his flawless creation. But God with us? God in human flesh, God residing with sinful man. I mean, our finite minds scarcely have the ability to conceive of such a reality. We've inherited Adam's sin. We've determined to go our own way. We've disobeyed and we have resisted the laws and commandments of God, yet he came and took on our flesh. Why would God want to be with us? Human logic can't fathom the possibility of a relationship between a perfect, all-righteous God and sinful human beings, but that is exactly what is encapsulated. That is the meaning, that is the teaching that comes to us encapsulated in Emmanuel. In the name Emmanuel, God with us. You see this, friends, as we consider it. As we consider that Jesus divested himself of his glory, stepped off his heavenly throne, took on our nature, bore our human flesh, lived in our sin-marred, scarred, tainted world. This, friends, is worthy. It is worthy of the burst of the midnight song when the angels startled the shepherds with their carols, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. This, friends, is worthy. It's a worthy message of the foresight of the prophets. It's worthy of a new star in the heavens. It's worthy of the care which the inspiration was manifested to record the very message you have in your Bible here. This message that God became a man, Emmanuel, God with us, it is worthy of the death of every apostle and every follower who has given their life for the sake of Christ since then. And this, my friends, is worthy at this very day of your most and my most earnest endeavors to spread the the tidings of this glad news to all peoples everywhere. How are we doing there, friends? If you know Christ savingly, you possess the message of the greatest miracle that God has ever performed. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. How are we doing there? How are we doing there? Friends, we must never forget that Jesus came to die. Here in this Christmas season, we, we celebrate the birth, the incarnation of Christ. But we must never separate that or put it in a separate box, so to speak, in our minds from the fact that Jesus came to die. Jesus took on flesh to be God with us so that he might be pierced for us. Jesus came to die. It's interesting to note that after Christ's resurrection, his wounds remained visible. They were visible to his disciples on earth, and they'll be visible to us and to all the redeemed right now in glory. One man has said that the only man-made thing in heaven are Emmanuel's scars. It's the only man-made thing in heaven. These scars will forever testify to God's unfailing covenant love. Jesus said of himself in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came, it's the reason he came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die. He came to die. 
He was born in Bethlehem to die. He became Emmanuel, God with us, that he might be pierced for us. See, he who was born at Bethlehem is both God and God with us. Speaks to the nearness of God, his nearness to us. As a matter of fact, the psalmist tells us the nearness of God is our good. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is both God in all of his deity. When Jesus stepped out of heaven and took on our flesh, he divested himself of not a fraction of his deity. Very God of very God. But at the same time, he he took on the whole of our humanity. Very man of very man. Very God of very God. Very man of very man. There's a word. You'll probably come across this from time to time if you do some some reading on the incarnation. It's one of those large 12-cylinder Christian words. It's the hypostatic union. And it simply is the word that theologians use to refer to the union of 100% deity while at the same time 100% humanity. It is a mystery to us, friends. We can't understand how those two things coalesce, but they're not a mystery in the mind of God. Jesus, very God of very God, very man of very man. When you think about God, there lies the majesty. God with us, there lies the mercy. When you think about God, there lies the glory. When you think about God with us, there lies the grace. He is God transcendent. He is God with us, accessible. The one who bids us come, follow me. Just as he he did his first disciples. You see, God and God alone strikes fear and terror in our hearts, but God with us infuses us with hope and great confidence. Spurgeon once said this, Emmanuel, God with us is eternity's sonnet. It's heaven's hallelujah. It's the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of angels, the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. And so, friends, my encouragement to you this morning as you think about Emmanuel and what it means, what it tells us, something of the nearness of God to us, that it would cause you to praise the one who is transcendent, other than, yet approachable, the God who is most high, yet Emmanuel, he's with us. He's with us. Emmanuel reveals the nearness of God. Number two, Emmanuel reveals God's care and his concern for us. Again, so much more could be said about each of these. But Emmanuel reveals God's care and concern for us. Consider for a moment what concern a perfect God might have for rebel sinners. What what concern should God have for rebel sinners? Why would God, who created us for his glory, give the faintest consideration to insurrectionists like ourselves? You see, understanding the infinite gulf Between deity and finite humanity, David penned these words in Psalm 8. He said, when I look at your heavens, when my eyes are lifted upwards and I I gaze at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Why? Why would God care for man who is an insurrectionist to begin with. But he does. Because he sent his son into the world, born of a virgin, taking on our flesh and human nature. 
Emmanuel reveals God's care and his concern for us. You see, God was for us before he became God with us. It is because God is for us that he became Emmanuel with us. And so because of the work of our sinless Redeemer, we can now with confidence, according to the writer of Hebrews, draw near. We can draw near. That's a a presence word. That's a beckoning word. That's a drawing in word. We can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. You see, God cares for us. God cares for us. And Emmanuel, God with us, reveals that. Moment by moment, God is with us through all of life's pilgrimage. Do we remember that on a daily, moment by moment basis? Emmanuel, he's with us. He's with us through his spirit. He's with us by his word. He is with us by his providential care for us. And he is with us in his divine presence that resides within us. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, the promised Holy Spirit. It's a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that is to come. He's with us. He cares and is concerned. One of the names for the Holy Spirit you'll probably be familiar is the paraclete. It means one who is called alongside another. I mean, Jesus told his disciples when he went away that he would send them another comforter, one that would come alongside them. What Jesus was telling his followers is that I'll never leave you nor forsake you in different language. God indwells his people by faith in Christ. He's so near, and he has such care and concern for us that he he knows what you think. He knows how you think. He knows when you hurt. He knows when you experience joy and gladness, and he knows when you're distraught. He cares. He's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, Hebrews 4.15. He knows our hearts. He can be touched with with our infirmities. He understands the feelings that reside within us. He shed tears, and he knows what pain feels like. When you're tired and weary, and in the middle of your trials and tragedies, don't ever forget, friends, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. May the truth of Emmanuel be a great anchor for your souls when the wind of trials blow. And friends... They will. They will. God speaking to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43 tells us this. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This was a promise that was made to national ethnic Israel. We have to be careful when we're, when we're applying promises, Old Testament, that were given to us particular specific people at a particular specific time, but we don't ever have to wonder if the character of God that that promise reveals is the same, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he not? And so we have to be careful just wholesale extrapolating Old Testament promises and applying them to ourselves here in the church age today, but we can certainly apply the character of, every, of, the character of God that every Old Testament promise reveals. But explicitly stated in Isaiah 43, 
when you pass through the waters, which by the way, it's not a, it's not a question. He's not saying if you pass through the waters. He's saying you will pass through the waters. He's not saying if you pass through the flames. He's saying you will be passed through the flames. And here is the Emmanuel promise in Isaiah 43. He says, when you do, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. One commentator comments on Isaiah 43 saying this, bridge, bridge over the waters, there is none. We must go through the waters and feel the rush of the rivers. The presence of God in the flood is better than any ferry boat. Tried we must be, but, but triumphant we shall be. For Emmanuel himself, who is mightier than any waters, shall be with us. The sorrows of life may rise to an extraordinary height, but the Lord is equal to the occasion and he is with us. We shall walk through the fires, God being with us. We shall not be burned. Nay, we shall not even smell like the fire. Oh, the wonderful security of the heaven-born and the heaven-bound pilgrim. You'll walk through difficulties, trials, and tragedies, but don't ever forget in the middle of it, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. He cares for us that he would condescend himself to come and to die for us, to take upon himself our sin, to pay for it on Calvary's cross, to hang his head and say that it is finished, and then to leave us on our own, that is a preposterous idea. He's with us, and he cares and is concerned for his own. When the winds of trial blow, and again they will, when we're buffeted by the pains that are so prevalent under heaven, friends, let me ask you this question, to where will you run? Where will you run? I submit to you that it is impossible to conceive of words more comforting, more strengthening, more cheering, and more strengthening in times of need than Emmanuel, God with us. Friend, what are you facing? What difficulty or trial? What challenge? What tragedy? How are you being buffeted by life under heaven in a Genesis 3 fallen sinful world? Let me remind you. Emmanuel is with you. Emmanuel is with you. Friends, more than we need to be rescued from our trouble, we need the unfailing knowledge that God is with us in the midst of our trouble. More than we need our trouble removed, though we would oftentimes pray that, we need the sure knowledge that God is with us right there in the trouble right there in the trial, right there in the difficulty, right there in the pain, right there in the struggle, right there in the tragedy. He is there. David affirmed this, did he not, in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, David said. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Number three on your outline this morning is this. Emmanuel reveals God's promise to us. We know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that all of God's promises are what? They're all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. They're all yes and amen in Emmanuel. And we have the promise for us of God's presence today. We have the promise of God's presence on your last day. And we have the promise of God's presence for days without end, if we know Jesus Christ savingly. Let me say just a, bu- a brief word about each of those. We have the promise of God's presence today. You see, we need to be reminded again that Jesus Christ is the same. 
He changes not. We oftentimes forget this truth. In the midst of our daily hustle-bustle lives, in the throes of life's challenges, we become like the children of Israel who ask this question, is the Lord among us or is he not? Though we may never verbalize the question in that same phraseology, we ask the same question, is God with us or is he not? Is he for us or is he not? Is he among us or is he not? Does he care or does he not? Is he concerned or does he, is he have no concern? Does he have no concern? Emmanuel is present in our trials, in our temptations, in our questions, in our perplexities, in our persecution, in our pain, our suffering, our grief, in our glee, and in all of our worship and everywhere in between. There's not a place where we can go that his presence is not there, right? David again in Psalm 139, where shall we go from your spirit? Where shall we flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, you're even there. Your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. What comforting words, Emmanuel. He leads and he comforts. He guides and he directs. He indwells. He's with us. The presence of, or the the promise rather, of God's presence for us today. But we also have the promise of God's presence on our last day, friends. Believer, when your body is worn out and you approach the closing scene of this life, which just think for a moment here, there are some of us that will not be sitting in this room this time next year. It's a reality. Death is a reality. When our body is worn out and we approach the closing scene of life, we find great respite and comfort in the fact that Emmanuel has already been there. He felt the sting of death. He knew the separation of spirit from fainting flesh. Remember, Jesus cried out from Calvary's hill, Father, into your spirit, or into your hands I commend my spirit. Emmanuel, God with us, has experienced the breathing of life's final breath. He himself knew the grave. Oh, what hope we have. What hope we have, brothers and sisters, that on our last day, when we cross the threshold of this life, we shall see our Redeemer face to face. Right? Encapsulated in Emmanuel is great hope, not only in life, not only for today, but great hope in death. Great hope in death. Job tells us this. He exclaimed, for I know my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh Shall I see God? Emmanuel, God with us. Not only his presence promised today, not only his presence promised in our last day, but God's presence promised for us for days without end. For all eternity, we have been promised the presence, the unceasing presence of Yahweh. You see, Emmanuel, it's the name that was foretold It's the name that that is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ, and it is the name that will endure forever. Our minds can scarcely comprehend the thought of what heaven will be like as we bask in Emmanuel's presence for days without end. Friends, can, can can you get that in your mind there for just a moment? The promise of God's presence for today, whatever the trial, whatever the triumph, The promise of God's presence on your last day, there's great hope in death. And the great promise of God's presence for days without end, eternity in heaven. 
You see, isn't it interesting? Matthew's gospel begins with an Emmanuel promise. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew's gospel ends with an Emmanuel promise. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, this, friends, this indeed is glad tidings. This is great news. Let me give you just a few practical thoughts here. If Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, what does that mean for me today? Well, if Jesus is God with us, it means that I must obey him. It means that I must obey him. Secondly, it means that I must trust him. Trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to please Jesus than to trust and obey. If Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, then we must strive to imitate him, to be like him. If Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, we must constantly worship him. He is worthy of the worship of every mouth that has ever been created. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then lastly, Jesus being Emmanuel means that we must love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Friends, Emmanuel reveals God's nearness to us. It reveals his care and concern for us, and it reveals his promise to us, not only for today, not only on your last dying day, but for all eternity.